I'm Hillary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. I'm here today with Roger Grimes, data-driven defense evangelist for Know Before, the world's first and largest new school security awareness training and simulated phishing provider that helps you manage the ongoing problem of social engineering. To learn more about Know Before, visit knowbefore.com. Roger, welcome back. Always a pleasure to be speaking with you on Cybercrimes. I'm always excited to be here, and thanks to everyone who shows up to listen to us. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple great topics for us this week. Let's start with the Rackspace ransomware attack. So I'm looking at an article on Axios, and Rackspace Technology, which is one of the largest cloud and email hosting providers in the U.S., said this past Tuesday of this week that a ransomware attack is to blame for a massive outage that kept some customers out of their email inboxes since last week. So Roger, I'm going to hand it over to you to take us further through this story and, and what it means and just what's going on here that folks should know about. Yeah, you know, one of the biggest things about this rack space, this is a pretty big attack. I mean, this is against a one of the largest infrastructure providers on the internet. They're hosting tons of infrastructure for, you know, the world's largest companies, world's largest companies, medium, small companies, everything. And that they get hit by a ransomware attack, that's kind of interesting because you, you have to assume, I don't know for sure, but you have to assume that they have pretty good security controls compared to the average person, average company. I, I would be shocked if they didn't have above average high security controls and they still got hit. So we don't know why they got hit. Also, you know, I guess kind of interesting and disappointing is we saw all kinds of service interruption that was unrelated to Rackspace. Like you, like if you're a consumer, I had a problem with my bank. My bank went down for a day and a half. I don't know why. I uh, went to a larger vendor like this week, and let me say, may or may not be related, but Amazon, you could go to the website, but you couldn't buy anything for a couple hours. Was that or was that not related to Rackspace? Because all of a sudden, in the last couple of days, starting last week, there were different service interruptions for different providers that seemed, it wasn't like their website was down. As a matter of fact, you know, like my, my bank went down for a day and a half. It didn't take out my mortgage payment. Imagine it's Christmas and you can't get money out of your bank and the bank's not talking. To this day, the bank's not talking. So they're down for a day and a half. Nobody said anything. A friend of mine went to one of the local branches and a bank teller told him, oh, we got hit by ransomware. You're like, okay, that's interesting. I was wondering whether it was an operational problem or hacking. Then I'm like, well, is it related to rack space? Because all of a sudden, really not having many problems. I've never had a problem with Amazon in 10, 20 years, however, and they're all of a sudden down for hours. So, you know, when you've got a large provider like Rackspace, they're providing, you know, resources to all these other companies. And so taking down one provider could impact potentially, I assume, tens of thousands of customers. But what was weird during the whole thing is that the people that did have it said, my Rackspace account is down. We're down, down, down. My hosted exchange, they had Microsoft hosted exchange. That was one of the biggest ones, is that all of a sudden their email server is down. I mean, for a long time, and no one's talking. And that's because, you know, the vendor that's impacted for hosted exchange, it would be Microsoft. It's not necessarily Microsoft's fault, probably not. It's Rackspace, and it takes a while for Microsoft to figure out, oh, it's Rackspace that's down. Let me contact Rackspace. Rackspace is in the middle of their nightmare because they're having a ransomware attack. So it's literally going to take hours for Rackspace and the people that are relying upon Rackspace to go, we have a problem. What I found interesting was that Microsoft eventually, you know, came out and said, hey, we're having a glitch. Rackspace came out and said they're having a technical problem. And again, I don't hold me to this, but I think it took more than a couple of days for them to say ransomware attack. 
And a lot of the other providers, and certainly the ones that I seem to be having service interruptions with, they didn't say there was a problem at all. Like, they were like, please wait. Like, when I couldn't buy something on Amazon for three or four or five hours, it just kept going, oh, we have a busy server. Well, uh, you don't have a busy server in the traditional sense. But when it came back up, they didn't go, oh, by the way, you know, we had some infrastructure that was hacked and that sort of stuff. And the bank, down for a day and a half, one of the largest banks in the United States, impacting mortgages, interrupting local branch offices. It took them a lot of hours just to say that they were having some service interruptions. And now it's been, now it came back up after being down for a day and a half. They've not said they were hacked at all or involved in any sort of hack. And maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a coincidental service interruption. But I certainly feel from everybody I see on LinkedIn and and Twitter that a lot of people are frustrated that there wasn't quick and clear communication. And kudos to the vendors that are dealing with it with Rackspace in the middle of a ransomware thing. But it apparently took them a certain amount of hours to say we're having technical glitches. It took them days to really say what the problem was. And again, I, I do have empathy with the the big vendors that have to deal with these notification issues. But then you had all these other vendors that were impacted by it, and a lot of them aren't saying anything. Like, they're like, yeah, we're back up. You know, good luck to you. And the hosted exchange one, it was interesting, is Microsoft came out and said, hey, we're offering you free licenses to move your hosted exchange email users to Office 365. We're giving you free licenses to move over to a new service. Sorry, there's no automation tool, which I get because it's a a hack going on. But you had to one by one move each person and you had to assign them a password and do some other stuff. So imagine if you're a really big company, how long that would take. But We don't know that it's ransomware at this point. We just know it's a service interruption. But Microsoft's now offering free migrations to a completely different product that apparently is unimpacted. But you're like, Microsoft's not saying wait. They're like literally saying change your email service type to an entirely different platform with different requirements and different needs and capabilities. This must be something bad. Like, so no one's really communicating, but all of a sudden a major provider, Microsoft's like, we're really offering you a great opportunity to move to this entirely different platform. Everybody's like, uh, this must be pretty bad, and we're not being told. And, and Microsoft wasn't saying it's pretty bad. It's not their place. It's a Rackspace problem. So I think there's a lot of questions, and, and, and really it even goes back to, I've seen a lot of different service interruptions due to hacks and ransomware lately, and part of the other frustrating part is they don't tell you how it occurred. And if they don't tell you how it occurs, it was a social engineering, was it unpatched software, whatever it was, then they can't tell you what are the steps they're taking. You know, so anytime you have a major service interruption, a major mistake, you want to feel like the vendor's being transparent with you, sharing with you what they can. But the other thing is you want to be reassured that it's not going to happen again. And if they're not sharing with you, if they're like, oh, we're taking all steps and blah, 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 we're all taking all steps all the time, right? We want to know that you had an issue, and if it was social engineering, how you're taking steps to make sure that doesn't happen. If it's unpatched software, how you're taking steps to happen. If it was a leak came through a third-party provider, how you're taking steps to happen. I mean, because we need to have continued trust that you're remediating the issue and going to make it less likely to happen in the future. So out of this whole thing, There seemed to me that there was this tipping point of people going, I'm not being communicated to well enough. It's not quick enough. It's not informational enough. And I still see people on Twitter going, okay, what happened? How did it happen? And there's a good chance for a lot of those hacks that you will never learn. And that's going to leave this, you know, ebbing, slowly dying question in your mind, what happened until maybe a year from now, you don't remember it. But 
when your customers are going, what happened and did you fix it? If they're saying that a week, two weeks later, that's not a good PR thing. You really want to be on front of it. You know, and if you don't have a good PR firm that's used to doing cybersecurity response, maybe you need to get one because you need to share what you can, when you can. And again, I have all empathy with a large organization going through a ransomware attack, whatever hacker attack, because you're having, there's legal responsibilities. And if you say the wrong thing, you could be legally liable. And there's probably in all these cases, somebody's suing. So you have to be careful. But I think every large organization should have a plan in place. Even small organization, medium-sized organizations should have a plan in place, a communications plan. Who do we need to communicate? How quickly do we need to communicate? What facts we need to communicate? And again, at the very end of this, if you want to close the circle, you need to tell them, okay, this is what happened and this is what steps we're taking to make sure that that doesn't happen again. If you want to foster trust from your customers and future customers. And let me say, maybe a good example of what somebody did in the same kind of same time period was LastPass, a password manager vendor, maybe one of the larger password manager vendors. They got hacked for the second time. Apparently the second hack was related to the first time. And really it was because of some information learned during the first hack. And again, in this case, the LastPass got compromised because of an infrastructure provider they relied upon. I don't think it was Rackspace, but I, I could be right or wrong. But LastPass, the CEO or whoever communicated, came out and said, hey, just want to let you know there's a second hack going on. This is what we know, and we want to share with you that your passwords are not compromised, that we have this zero-knowledge trust system, and it, it appears to be working. Some other information or other customer and employee information was taken. I do see people going, well, what's the other information that was taken? And they, I don't think they've communicated that yet. But at least there was this really quick and proactive, like you were hearing about it from a message from the CEO before you even knew it was happening in most cases. You weren't finding the service disruption and then trying to see what's going on in a day and a half later, silence. So I, I think LastPass really, when I went on the boards, the technical boards, I saw a lot of people, a lot of technical people, trustworthy people, including me, that were defending LastPass, going, hey, before you're abandoning this infrastructure, realize that everybody can be hacked. Really, it's how the vendor responds. They're communicating. doesn't look like your passwords are compromised. On that note, on the LastPass, I laughed because people were like, it's the second time they've been hacked. Oh, my God, I'm throwing it away. I'm like, literally, your browser, whatever browser you use, has like 18 vulnerabilities a month. It's hacked all the time, and you're still using it. As long as the vendor's responsive and communicating and remediating the issue, that's really the best you can hope for. Anything can be hacked. You know, and if LastPass gets a third hack, maybe it's a different equation. You know, so far, I would give them kudos for their handling it mostly right. And let me say, I think they will communicate what information about their customers was taken. But, you know, they're kind of a nice that you didn't have to guess that, yep, there's a hack going on. They immediately realized the most important thing is people want to know their passwords are safe, your passwords are still safe. So that was, I think, really well done. And again, every organization, at least midsize and larger, should have a proactive communications plan in the event. You know, you're supposed to go, it's a matter of, you know, when, not if you're going to be hacked. So you don't want to be in the middle of a huge hack going, okay, how do we respond? When do we need to communicate? Let's get the internal marketing and PR department that has no training in what's appropriate for cybersecurity response. 
because you're going to have to have legal people involved. You may have industry regulations. You want to figure that ahead of time and not be trying to get it on the fly. The best you can hope for is to proactively plan, and it's obvious LastPass did. Maybe it was because they got, <laughs> they got a lot of practice on the first hack. But obviously there's things in line because when they did get hacked, again, it came out really quick. They're fairly transparent, and you had a lot of customers going, I'm going to keep using the product. Yeah, certainly a great component of an incident response plan for sure. And um, you mentioned, you know, anyone can be hacked, any organization can be hacked. And I guess, not that I was necessarily hacked, but something that happened to me that I think was pretty interesting, and it sounds like from our conversation before our recording, it's probably more prevalent than perhaps folks are aware of, is I was on a comedian's YouTube channel, or what I thought was their YouTube channel, watching what I thought was a live discussion like they were filming a podcast and sometimes as they film their podcast they'll upload the video they'll stream it to to YouTube so you can watch as well as listen and I noticed there was a little QR code in the description for the video and I was just curious and that's just always what happens right is the curiosity gets the best of us so I, I scanned it and it took me to this weird intermediary page that I, I screenshot that was all in Russian and I'm assuming not a Russian comedian no, no, American, American. And I don't speak Russian, but uh, I screenshot it just if I ever wanted to somehow translate it. And it brought me to an Ethereum landing page where I'm assuming you would invest in bogus crypto, which I don't even invest in crypto. It's just that I was so curious because I hadn't heard of this comedian backing a cryptocurrency. And I was like, which one are they backing? Why are they backing that one? And so I clicked on it or I took a, you know, I used my camera to, to bring me to it. And then when I saw the Russian, I just, and perhaps it's my own bias and being, uh, you know, just Russian, I, I immediately panicked and I turned my phone off. And then when I turned my phone back on, I updated the software and, and all of that in hopes to mitigate whatever damage I could have done. And so I guess my, my question for you, Roger, is how prevalent are these types of attacks and what is the attack that I let them have access to my device? Or is it more the, you know, if I had invested or clicked through to the actual bogus crypto, you know, on that page, is that what would have done the most damage? Or I guess, also, did I do the right thing by turning my phone off and updating software, etc? Because I tried to Google, you know, what to do if subject to QR scam. And people just talk about the scams, but I couldn't find a lot about what to do if you're scammed. So, that's what I'm bringing to the table for our second topic today. Oh, fantastic. So first of all, anybody can be socially engineered. Anybody. Me. I've been socially engineered. I, I don't think that I've been socially engineered by a cyber criminal, but my company, Before, has socially engineered me so much it's almost embarrassing. I've written about it. I think anybody, if given the right incentive, can be socially engineered. Anybody. And I've had buddies of mine say, you can't socially engineer me. Everybody that's ever tested me, I've socially engineered within a couple of days. I always tell them, give me two weeks to throw them off, but then I do it really quickly. And I do it in a way that they're not expecting. And let me tell you, they're always like, oh my God, I can't believe. I was the same way. I didn't think I could be socially engineered until I got to know before. And the first day, first or second day, I got socially engineered. It was a simulated phishing test. I'm like, ah, I can't believe this. But I got to tell you, I thought it was such a unique, targeted social engineering attack that I somehow still thought I was infallible. It wasn't until they got me the second and the third time that I finally went, oh my God, I'm just a regular person. I can be socially engineered. And I think it made me stronger because I now slow down. I now hover over my links. I now go, hey, could this possibly be a phishing attack? So number one is nobody, nobody should feel bad about being socially engineered. Anybody 
can be socially engineered. Number two, I think the attack that you described, so this embedded QR code on this YouTube page, let me say it could even be a legitimate page because commenters will come up and insert as a comment some type of phishing link or QR code or something. And I think, you know, lucky you, you're on the cusp of the new QR code scams. You know, QR code, quick response code scams weren't a big thing. QR codes essentially kind of look like a barcode, but really all it is is typically it's an encoded link, but it really can be an encoded any set of characters or numbers or even Japanese or Chinese symbols. So it's just a barcode that replaces characters. These days, they typically reference some type of URL. You know, they use it because you don't know where you're going to. If you'd probably seen a URL saying, go to this Russian site.ru, you're probably like, I'm not going there. But a QR code, you know, you're still in the, hey, this is interesting. He's, what is he, the comedian's pushing some type of new coin. So I think you're in the cusp of a new type of, or if not the cusp, you're certainly writing the new wave of, I think, what the future is, which is QR code scams. It's another way to hide the URL so you can't easily inspect it. And there's no easy way to get around it other than, I guess, when you scan a QR code, you get a second or two to see where it's going to go. And if your phone automatically goes there, as many of them do, see if you can get it so that you have to press a button or do something to accept that code. So that way, maybe you get a chance to examine it. Even the codes that the scam codes are putting are these really short codes. A lot of times they end in .io, which I'd say half the legitimate cybersecurity companies that I go to today end in I.O. It's like the new hot thing. You really just got to be careful. But I'd also say that there is a tiny, tiny chance that if you get on a landing page that your device is immediately compromised. In this case, I think they are just trying to get you to <laughs> waste your money on a worthless cryptocurrency. But if you're worried about like malware or Trojan horse program taking over your phone, stealing your passwords, 99.999, and I'm just making the stat up. But most of the time, you have to do something additional. And let me say, the, the, what you usually have to do is say, yes, install. And it will say, are you sure you want to install this dangerous thing? Yes. So most people's phones that get compromised, they intentionally have to click on multiple links allowing the software to be installed. So the chances of your phone or your device being compromised without you literally going, yes, install this. Yes, I meant to install this dangerous thing is really, really remote. With that said, there are zero day attacks each year, a couple of them. And they come out and you could be the lucky person that gets you know right on the new one. But I would say that, you know, you told me you redid and re-knitted your software. That's super safe. I mean, if you're really super paranoid, you re-knit your phone with a hard reset and have to reinstall everything and reset your passwords. That really would be like if I went to a place and I went, you know, not only did I go to this fake website, but it looked like it installed something. Like a lot of times if you pay attention, you know the difference between I got redirected to a website and all of a sudden my phone looked like it was installing software and it said it was downloading something and all of a sudden I got a new app icon. <laughs> You know, that's what happens if it really compromises your phone. If I saw that, I would probably do a hardware reset, reinstall all my applications brand new, and reset all of my passwords because any password saved on the phone or accessible on the phone could be compromised. Most of the time, you don't need to do that. And to be honest with you, I'm far more likely to do that on a PC. If I have a PC or a laptop and I get taken to a bad website, more people should actually completely reset the thing and change all their passwords. Most people don't. On a cell phone... Unless you said, yes, install this thing, 
it's really, really highly unlikely to have compromised you or if you didn't put in login credentials or some, or your credit card or something like that. Most of the time, you could have literally just closed out that page and just said, oh, I shouldn't go there again. Shouldn't click on that QR code again. So I think that you, what you did was even above and beyond and you, you were worried and you significantly lowered your risk by doing what you did, resetting your software and updating and doing stuff like that. You, you even lowered your risk even more. But I think as long as you didn't run something, as long as you didn't give away some PII information that even if all you did was leave the website. Well, that's good news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and let's say one of the most common questions I get, people will say, if all I did was open the email, if all I did was go to the website, could I be compromised? And the, 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 the short answer is yes, there's a small, small chance that if you got wrapped up in a zero day, or if you have unpatched software, yeah, far more likely to happen. 20 to 40% of attacks happen because people have unpatched software. So I should actually strongly caveat that if you're fully patched, highly unlikely to happen. So there is a small chance, like I even teach courses and people in ways that I can hack you just by you simply opening an email or visiting a website. They're very special techniques. Sometimes with the zero days involved, they last until the vendor patches it, but it's really, really remote. Like I'd say on the average day, there's probably like a billion attempted hacks going on. The number of these specialized hacks that are occurring in a given year maybe a couple of dozen. So it really is really rare. It's nation state type stuff. Most of it is patch your stuff, don't install anything you shouldn't. And most of the time you're fine. If you just go to the website, you just open the email, you're usually just fine. Well, good news for me and everyone else out there that's been subject to this cutting edge QR scam. We're early adopters. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Not, not, not always good to be an early adopter. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not. But They call it the bleeding edge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, Roger, as always, such a pleasure to speak with you and great episode for this week. And I'm looking forward to next week. Agreed. And everybody keep on fighting the good fight. Thanks, Roger. I'm Hillary McClure. Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Joining me today was Roger Grimes, data-driven defense evangelist for Before, the world's first and largest new school security awareness training and simulated phishing provider that helps you manage the ongoing problem of social engineering.